And so if you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that contains the depths of the wisdom and knowledge of God. The book of Matthew 5:45 and 48, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Called to Perfection. I will note that the perfection of the Heavenly Father when He shines with His Son upon the evil and not the good, He curses the evil and blesses the good. When He sends His reign on the just, He sends it timely and in measure. On the unjust, they don't come timely and not in measure and flood them. This promised commandment to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. It is the inheritance of the saints of all generations, and this commandment of Christ is addressed specifically to His students, that is, to those people that are clothed into students of Christ. Therefore, people who do not acknowledge the power of the person sent by God over themselves have no part in the inheritance of this commandment and most likely will never be able to have it. Relevant to fulfilling this required commandment, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man. Specifically, the goal is that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue, of course, if it is abiding in our heart. And in part, we've been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart, received by us in the two broken tablets of the covenant, demonstrating the crucified Christ who died, his heart was broken upon the cross. Where we die by the law for the law to live for the one that died and resurrected and by doing so receive confirmation of our salvation in new tablets of the covenant that is in the resurrection of Christ in the format of the law of the spirit of life so we can provide God a basis to give us the promise to be heirs of peace not by the past law but by the righteousness of faith like he gave it to Abraham and his seed. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, Romans 4, 13. <clears throat> we note that the righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, which is presented in the preached word of God sent and the person who is a father from God to us. The faith of God is information that comes from hearing the Word of God, not from reading, but for, from listening. Faith comes from hearing. hearing. Faith comes from hearing, it is written. So God's faith is information that is presented in the elementary principles of Christ. Our faith, which is called to collaborate with God's faith, is the unquestionable authority or obedience to the authority of the word which we hear. And so there's a big difference between God's faith and our faith. God's faith is the general. Our faith is the soldier that is in line, that is ready to fulfill 
the word that is spoken by the general. Therefore, the promise of the peace of God is given only to those men that are obedient to the order of God in accordance to which he then sends us his word by the mouth of his, of his delegated one. Therefore, the covenant of peace within the heart of man is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God, which are the spoken words of God's delegated ones. It is by the means of the righteousness of faith, the covenant of peace presented in the inheritance of peace is called to abide and be within the heart of man, evidence of the fact that we are children of God. Not, uh, if we don't have this peace inside, or and not just any peace, but the covenant of peace that forms the atmosphere of peace, then we only think we are children of God, but we are not. So, Israel and their leaders, or specifically their leaders, were as the seed of Abraham, but God told them through Christ, you are the children of the devil. If you can imagine, the elite, the Sanhedrin of the time, the, of the Israelite nation, Christ says that they are the children of the devil at the time they were the children of the devil of course they did not think that they were <clears throat> therefore the inheritance of peace abiding within the covenant of peace is the treasury of our hope in God containing the bond of all of the promises of God and the achievement of these is the goal of the given to us righteousness we can inherit the promise by the righteousness of faith <clears throat> the righteousness of the heart that confesses the faith and inherits, therefore, God's promises. It is righteousness by the means of the peace of God containing the covenant of peace can and is called to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6, 7. With thanksgiving make your requests known. What does that mean? That means that we perfectly know that everything that we are going to ask God about right now is already placed upon our account in Jesus Christ. And we can thank God, we can thank the Lord, thank you Lord for my healing that is placed upon my account in Jesus Christ. This is your will and I want your will to be fulfilled. We need to, as kings, priests, and prophets, to turn to God, not with personal needs, but with God's needs. My healing, your healing, is not our need. It is God's need. He has paid the price with the blood of his son for this, and he has a need that we be healed. And he wants for us to present this plea in the format of his will, not as our own personal desire but as his will. This is what the essence of a priest is, to present God's interests in God's temple and not your own personal need. The very same need with different people can be presented differently. One will present it as God's will, the other will present it as their own personal will. And the one and the other rely upon scripture, but the one they rely upon the truth and the other they rely upon the false and they resist God they don't acknowledge God's right that it's first of all his need it is he has an interest in us being healed it is not us who paid a price for our healing he paid the price for our healing it is in his interest that this 
price be satisfied. The peace of God that is able to guard our minds in Christ Jesus is the mind that is renewed by the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit. Because to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Carnal mind, when a person meditates about the things of the world, when he uses the principles of faith for materialistic gain, or when he uses the principles of faith for healing, but only as his own personal need, not as God's need. Then these will be, uh, uh, this will be a carnal mind. But when you begin to state it as God's will, you trans and transform it into a spiritual thing. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those that are in the flesh cannot please God, Romans 8, 6 through 8. Again, I repeat, I want to note and have us remember that healing is for the body, materialistic prosperity is for the body. And when we present it as our own personal need, then these are, this is carnal, being carnal minded. When we present it as God's will, it is, as, as becomes a spiritual thing because when we're meditating, meditating about things of the world, but when we say, Lord, thank you for what you have desired and want for me, and we wait for when this happens, we don't say, Lord, immediately, right now, I can't be patient any longer. We are patient. God heard what we said. We thanked him, and we have faith that healing is upon our account already. And we are waiting in what way God will do it, whether it be by a doctor or it be in a supernatural way. The thing is that sup the supernatural way and doctors, these are all supernatural. If God will not use, be present at the hands of the doctor, nothing will work. But there are rules and we these rules are to sometimes to go to a doctor and so pray and if you don't, aren't healed immediately, then go to a doctor whom God has commanded or allowed us to have. The exception to the rule is <clears throat> a sudden uh, healing, but this is not uh, as, nor as a normal thing, but an exception to the rule. I studied it by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit all of my life. I wrote out more than 2,000 places of scripture uh, and everywhere it's a therapy, a process, love for the person who is sick. And when you demonstrate love for a person who is ill, <clears throat> you begin to take care of them. This love begins to heal. I've seen people that were dying in the hospital. And the doctor told me, look, their state is much better than your own son, and they're dying. But your son will be well and will live. Why? Because they're lonely. Their children don't visit them. Their relatives don't visit them. My son, son was, uh, was also in a, in a situation where he was, uh, he was in a severe condition, as they were.
and healing, I repeat, is also service. God uses us, ourselves, to heal other people. When a person sees that he's not lonely, that someone cares for them, someone prays for them, God takes and heals with them with this. But if he wants to, as an exception to the rule, to do this suddenly, he could do this, but never command or demand God uh, to do it or to make an exception for me. Allow God himself to make the decision how to heal you. <clears throat> Healing is put upon your account in Jesus Christ. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so those who live in the flesh cannot please God. They fast, they pray, they ask for healing, they practice spiritual gifts, they try to rebuke demons, they evangelize, and all of this is flesh and all of this is not God. God has not sent them. God sends people to evangelize apostles, but not people who have may have finished some kind of three-month, six-month courses. And being completely in sin, not being free from their sins, they go to preach Jesus. They are not a light for the world, and... According to this given place, we conclude that people that refuse the condition where the truth of the preached word and the power of the Holy Spirit renews their mind by the spirit of their mind have no part to the peace of God and are not able to have it. And consequently, such people have no part and cannot have any part of the sons of peace, who by the means of the peace of God would inherit eternal salvation in the kingdom of heaven. This is a covenant of peace that creates an atmosphere of peace in man and whatever loss or gain may come to pass will disturb this peace. Whatever happens on this earth, any tsunamis, any viruses, maybe economical uh, break of any kind, this peace will keep this holy person amongst epidemics, hunger, or destruction until the Lord comes and takes us from here. We need to apprehend well that only collaborating our spirit with our renewed mind, that is within Christ Jesus, are we called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our body and clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ. Jesus died in the body for the purpose of our mortal bodies would be transformed into heavenly bodies to enthrone, enthrone in us his resurrection and we need to destroy the stronghold of death within our body for this reason that the old person relies upon. The stronghold of death is the holiness of God, God's law, gives power to sin. It is the armor of the old person, and this is the armor of sin. The power of sin is the law, holiness. And when we repent, and the Lord comes to us as our new person, we are born, our new nature is holy, and in this new nature is God and he discovers within our body the law of sin and death, and he immediately transforms into the stronghold of death within our body, 
and within our body there be uh, begins a war between the law of the spirit of life and the laws of sin and death upon the condition of course that we are enlightened and take part this war, war does not happen inside of anyone who doesn't understand the old person actually in those people helps them and supports them in practicing spiritual gifts and evangelizing because they don't have anything against the old person because he's actually supporting them but as soon as they find out that they need to eliminate this old person in themselves uh, something serious begins to happen a war within the person starts only by the power of the peace of God within our heart are we able to examine ourselves that we are truly the sons of God as it is written blessed are the peacemakers <clears throat> for they shall be called sons of God Matthew 5 9 and for they shall be called when they become peacemakers they will be called first they do this but there's a saying the chicks are counted by the time of autumn but those who keep the faithfulness to the end will be saved you have to remain faithful continually if a person isn't died for his nation, the house of his father, or for his fleshly life, by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, then his justification that he received in salvation by faith in Christ Jesus in the format of a guarantee, this justification will never turn into the quality and format of righteousness, where he would receive the ability to be clothed into the inheritance of the peace of God in order to bear within his righteousness the fruits of peace. I shall remind us that everything we receive from God, we receive in the form of a seed, and seed is not fruit. Seed is a guarantee. The seed needs to be uh, invested. It needs to die in the ground. If it doesn't die, uh, a foolish one, what you have sown, if it, does, it won't resurrect, then how can you receive fruits of resurrection if you're afraid to uh, turn to profit your seed of guarantee? People are not taught correctly. They receive salvation and that it's already uh, complete and irreversible, but this is not accurate. They receive salvation in the format of a guarantee. As you go and you purchase a home, you get put a down payment for this home, and it becomes yours. You, you need to now find the means to completely pay for this home that you've purchased, and then only will it be yours. And if you don't find those means, then, or you end up without them, then you will lose that down payment that you have put. And so you will lose then that down payment and the house that you were intending to purchase. Salvation is given in the, in the format of a guarantee. It could be that you will lose your guarantee and you'll lose your salvation also. And the reason for that is the seed. The seed is not fruit. We receive it, all of the promises of God, all of the truth and salvation in the form of a seed that needs to be grown into fruit. It needs to be grown. And so, such people that will not understand that truth and will not deny their nation, the house of their father and their corrupt desires, the crown that was prepared for them, crown of righteousness will be taken from them. We're uh, giving them the right, that would have given them the, uh, the right to the promise of peace. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Revelations 
the crown of righteousness. We have justification. We need to hold on to this justification. The attack of Satan will be directed uh, on your uh, justification to deprive you of innocence. The crown of righteousness, we receive justification in the form of a seed in salvation, but then we, we turn it to profit so we could receive it as our own and it become righteousness. How does that happen? As soon as you receive justification and you begin to confess it, then this is already righteousness because the, with the heart you believe into righteousness and by the mouth you proclaim when Abraham believed and said, may be according to your word, when this righteousness became fruit in the uh, womb of Mary, the mother of Jesus, when the angel Gabriel told her that she will conceive from the Holy Spirit and she said, let it be according to your word, then when she said this, she conceived. We conceive the seed that we hear by our own mouth. We hear and we say, Lord, may be according to your word. And then the seed falls into the heart. After that, we grow it and we say, Lord, may it be grown into fruit. And we begin to proclaim the not existent as existent, thanking uh, God. And because of this growth, then it comes to maturity and you then can bear the fruits in your heart. We need to remember that the promise of the peace of God obtains its power and its legitimacy within our heart only by the righteousness of our faith in the covenant of peace. This portions responsibility upon both sides of the covenant, where each side is responsible to fulfill their role that is implemented by God in the written word of the covenant of peace. And if one of the sides breaks the agreement that was made in the covenant of peace between God and man, and we note that the only person who could break it is a man, then the other participant of that covenant being God is free then from the responsibility of fulfilling his part of the agreement that was made in the covenant of peace. The fruit of righteousness is identified within our heart as the peace of God, and this is evidence that we are the sons of peace and this serves as a legitimate basis for God, so he fulfill his part of the covenant of peace, that is, to lead us into the inheritance of his son, so we can share with him the achievement of all that is written about him in the laws, the prophets, and the Psalms. Because justification that we have received by right of our birth from the seed of the word of truth has changed into the quality and format of righteousness, where we receive the ability to bear fruits of peace within our relationship with God and with those around us, as it is written, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, Hebrews 12, 14. We note that in the given situation, this place is referring to a unique and unearthly peace that is to be done by God only within the boundaries of holiness and be an expression and demonstration of holiness. The boundaries are the commandments of God containing the righteousness of God. And so this very apostle in another place of scripture says, Romans 12:18. if it is possible as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, which means it's not possible to have peace with all men. Therefore, the peace that we dare to have 
or have the audacity to have demonstrate using the ideas of our own mind out of the boundaries of holiness and not as a demonstration of holiness will be incriminated as a heavy form of lawlessness for which we will be needing to pay a price for of uh, losing eternal life because our fellowship or communication with people that the scriptures ascribe to corrupt company will perverse or corrupt our good habits and will transform us into their wicked image. The churches are filled with uh, lawless and corrupt people. Sin is legalized. Alcohol is legalized. Uh, all kinds of perversion is legalized. Many sins are legalized. There's no holiness, not in their garments, not in their words, not in their thoughts. The mouth is unclean. They speak in tongues, and at the same time, they cuss. Do not be deceived, evil company corrupts good habits, awake to righteousness, and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, 34. And this is not the only place of Scripture. Therefore, it is impossible and criminal to have peace with the wicked and the lawless that have filled the churches that support the wicked. These lawless who support the wicked, who in their time had received the truth, but afterwards abandoned their church and turned away from the holy commandments that were given to them. The very fact of the rebellion and their hatred of the words given by the delegated people of God that are placed over them testify of the fact that they've lost the peace of God in their heart and membered them to the category of the wicked. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There's no peace, says my God, for the wicked, Isaiah 57. 20-21. And this very place of Scripture is also written in the 49th chapter and other places of Scripture as well. In a specific format, we already looked at six signs by which we need to determine and examine ourselves as to whether we are the sons of peace as well as the sons of God and have been studying the seventh sign. And this is our ability to clothe our essence into the holy and the selective love of God, holy and selective. Selective love, in Scripture, doesn't write selective directly. It isn't written selective, it's written holy. But holy is selective. Holy is separates the pure from impure, holy from unholy. It cannot be tolerant as people present it, as God loves everyone. I say, how is God's love if he loves everyone? If he loves everyone, then it is not holy, it is tolerant. God is not tolerant by nature. He loves those who love him, it's written, and hates those who hate him. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, he came to this earth and died only for his church. Jesus committed himself for his church, washing her by the waters of the word, that she may be holy and without blemish before him in love. John 16.16 John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son it says that anyone who believes in him would ha- wouldn't perish but have everlasting life it was necessary to translate for God so loved each one in this world who believes in him in this world that he gave his only begotten son uh, for this one who believes that they may not perish, but have everlasting life. If God so loved the whole world, then this world would be very different today. The world lies in evil and is condemned. Only some are saved from the world. All churches are overfilled. Many, uh, and all the churches uh, are filled with, with evil people as well. 
Many are called, but few are chosen. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians 3, 14, 15. We note that according to this place of Scripture, the reign of the peace of God within our heart is possible only upon one condition, and that is if the selective love of God will abide within our heart, and if we will be clothed into the selective love of God. And this is in His commandments, not in emotions. Love is not an emotion. Love is action. It's discipline of the mind and will where we fulfill God's commandments. God calls this love. You love me, keep my commandments. We are called to, by fulfilling His commandments, using our mind and will, lead our emotions, teach them so that they would go wherever we want to and not follow or chase after them. The emotions don't have a mind, don't listen to them, don't follow them, don't base things from, from what you feel. Sometimes you feel that you have... Uh, a broken relationship with God based on emotion. Don't believe it. If Check your relationship. If everything's fine, but your emotions say something different, forbid it from deceiving you. Tell it, be silent in the name of Jesus Christ. Everything's good with the Lord. If it's not, God will correct me, but I don't find anything. But emo- the emotions can still make you impatient, or a person can be, can be in sin and your emotions say nothing. One woman came to me and told me, Pastor, it is written, if the heart does not condemn, then this is not a sin. I wanted to say, yes, and the Holy Spirit said inside, be careful, she's in sin. And her conscience is not judging her because it's burned out. And I told her, if you've committed a, a sin and your conscience doesn't condemn you, then this means you're in a sin. Because if the scriptures say it's a sin, but the conscience doesn't judge you, then this means that your conscience has burned out. You can take a place of scripture and calm yourself. See, the conscience doesn't uh, condemn. If you're lying today, tomorrow, and after tomorrow, and you get used to it, your conscience will no longer judge you. You easily uh, drink, smoke, lie, uh, take drugs, uh, do all kinds of perverted other things, and the conscience isn't judging you. The conscience has burned out. When the conscience is alive, has a communication with God, has a relationship with God, it will judge you then according to God's law if it's put into there. But if the conscience is burned out, it won't condemn you, but the Word of God still does. In the selective love of God, which is the atmosphere of the peace of God, we see concealed the good, wonderful, eternal, and uncomprehending for the human mind goals and works of God, called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and exclusively with His children, as we've said above. Comprehending the selective love of God is called to fill us with the fullness of the peace of God or make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. The selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in seven unchanging virtues or elements by the preached word of the apostles and prophets. These are virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. 2 Peter 1, 2 through 8. This is one fruit of righteousness. 
but it has these ingredients, these qualities, these components, and they are one in the other. Each of the seven qualities of the fruits of virtue contain the characteristic of the others. <clears throat> they, they flow one from the other, complete one the other, strengthen one the other, and confirm the truthful nature of one the other. These qualities are called to be the moral perfection within our heart and an example inherent to the essence of our Heavenly Father. Third, the given qualities are the great and precious promises entrusted to us through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. The given qualities are the imperishable treasure and unsearchable wealth of Christ with which we need to become rich. In order to receive the inheritance of these qualities, it is necessary for us to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Sixth, the means that we are to use for receiving the power of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. Seventh, by inheriting these great and precious promises in the form of the fruits of our spirit, we become a part of God's divine nature. Our nature becomes in the likeness of God's nature. Since virtue and the selective love of God demonstrated in the seven unchanging qualities and characteristics have nothing in common with and cannot have anything in common with the nature of human love that is filled with egoism, is greedy, and is just temporary. Therefore, specifically, the fruits of the selective love of God containing the format of the seven unchanging qualities listed previously, this fruit is called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ within our body and clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ in, that is into our new person. As it is said, put on the new person, the element of virtue in the selective love of God has no comparison to the tolerant love of man, since the virtue of the selective love of God are eternally existing qualities. These qualities are the qualities of our Heavenly Father and His all-consuming holiness and all that comes from God, because God is love, or more accurately, He is a holy love, separated from all that man calls love. And such an inaccessible for our mind, transcendent love of God is identified in Scripture as the bond of all perfection, which indicates the fact that the selective love of God is placed by God first over the rest of His perfections, identified as His goodness. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, Colossians 3.14. And as the love of God is demonstrated in word, or in the word of God that comes out of the mouth of God, and this happens within our heart, God specifically put his word, which is his holy love, within our heart. He's placed it above all of his names. The love of God is the foundation and the atmosphere of the moral and immovable law opening within our heart the essence of God and the essence of the heavenly kingdom. And this is not all. The love of God agape is a sovereign love, which is unconditional when it comes to the people it chooses in its abilities to foreknow and predestine. Only those does God love unconditionally that he foreknew before the creation of the world that in their time when they are greeted with the truth, they will not turn their back to it but will go to the light. Because of its sovereignty, the selective love of God never violates the sovereign rights of those people she selects. God for a long time can wait for a person 
until he turns to him if it's his person. He is long-suffering and doesn't want anyone to perish. He does not force an individual to make any holy works. God wants a person to learn what he likes and do what he likes and not what he himself likes, but only what God likes and never present his will as God's will and his desires as God's desires. And so God's love never allows her own sovereign rights within her boundaries to be violated. These boundaries are his burning holiness. In a specific format, these seven characteristics that together identify within our heart the goodness of God in the perfection of his selective love, we have already looked at six qualities. Therefore, we'll immediately turn our attention to the seventh. This is demonstrating the love of God agape in brotherly kindness. In scripture, the love of God agape as the virtue of God coming from brotherly kindness is contrary to evil that comes from hatred of the fallen angels and men that are within the power of these fallen spirits. Therefore, in the Holy Scriptures, the degree of the power of the selective love of God which comes from brotherly kindness and reveals itself in brotherly kindness is determined and exclusively is known by the degree of the power of the hatred of God toward evil and evil doers who do evil. And also the level of love toward those who carry righteousness and bear righteousness. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. He has loved those who bear righteousness and hated those who bear lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Hebrews 1.9 Considering that evil demonstrating itself in a man in hatred that comes from jealousy and arrogance of a man, and good that demonstrates demonstrates itself in man, in love that comes from brotherly kindness, are programs. Therefore, to love righteousness and hate lawlessness is only possible in its carriers, which are their programmable systems. As it is written, the Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he shall rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. This is the perfection of God, his justice. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. Psalm 11, 5-7. Relevant to this as the previous elements, the virtue of God and his unique for us goodness, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith, in seven elements, we need to answer four classical questions. What do those scriptures say about the genesis and natural essence of the fruit of virtue that reveals itself in the heart of man in the love of God agape that comes from brotherly kindness, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith? What purpose does the fruit of virtue have demonstrated in our faith in the love of God agape that comes from brotherly kindness? What conditions do we need to fulfill in order to demonstrate the fruit of virtue in the love of God agape in your faith coming from brotherly kindness? And by what signs do we examine ourselves that we are demonstrating the fruit of virtue in the love of God agape that comes from brotherly kindness?
Relevant to this, we already studied seven components called to take part in the pour out of the love of God into our heart, studying who God loves, and, have, and now have studied seven components of who God hates, and have been studying the signs that identified the genesis of the natural essence of the love of God agape that comes from brotherly kindness, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith. Speaking of the genesis of brotherly kindness from which the selective love of God agape flows, we in a specific format already looked at the essence of the first five signs and therefore will immediately look at the sixth. Sixth, the selective love of God which comes from brotherly kindness within the atmosphere of which the peace of God reigns is poured out into our heart by the good soil of our hearts. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Matthew 13:23. And so from the soil of the heart, the good soil of the heart, the love of God flows. The fruit of our spirit is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, listening to the preached word of the person that is clothed into the authority of a father from God. The confessions of God's faith, which abide within our heart, is the pour out of the love of God by the good soil of our heart. <clears throat> Every time we confess the faith of God that abides within our heart, the love of God is poured out in these words. God takes these words and clothes us into these words. because. These words are already fruit. The confessions of faith is fruit. Therefore, everything that God has prepared and done for us in Christ Jesus, we are able to have by the confession of the faith of God abiding within our heart. If a person does not understand the heard word, then this means that the soil of his heart is not good or is evil. Therefore, such a person will not be able to be fruitful, and the word that he hears and does not understand Will not bring him will not bring him any benefits. In the given situation, the ability to understand the heard word means a special state of the heart, demonstrated in the ability of an inclined ear to accept and keep the heard word in the vessel of your heart. This is a hungry heart that has an inclined ear prepared in order to hear the word because God gives his word only to those who thirst and those that are humble, a person who inclines his ear, the ear of his heart. Therefore, a person that does not understand the heard word is a person that resists the preached word spoken by the mouth of the delegated of God because due to his, due to his arrogance, he places hope upon the abilities of his personal mind. Let us read it uh, here an example so he arose and went and behold a man of Ethiopia a eunuch of great authority under Candace the queen of the Ethiopians who had charge of all her treasury and has come to Jerusalem to worship was returning and sitting in his chariot he was reading Isaiah the prophet then the spirit said to Philip go near and overtake this chariot so Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said do you understand what you are reading and he said how can I understand unless someone guides me and he asked Philip to come up and sit with him acts 827 through 31 what a wise uh, gentleman this was this Ethiopian man he was a, a significantly intelligent person, he, but he did not trust in his own mind. He read this book and had in his heart a need. Lord, I read, but I don't understand. What I read, send a person 
In my time being a child, I prayed always to the Lord, saying, Lord, send a person that would be able to reveal the mystery of your word. I will follow this person. I fell in love with the word of God. Regarding the, uh, the facts about a good and evil heart, Jesus in his time spoke the following parable. Therefore, whatever or whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was that fall. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Building your house either on the rock or on the sand happens by confessing specific words of your mouth. The word that we confess with our mouth is the treasury of our heart that can either be good or evil. All depends on the state of your heart. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Luke 6.45 A person who relies upon his own mind, attempting with his mind to understand scripture as an evil person, he brings forth out of his heart evil things. This is not how I agree. How do you think about this place? They'll ask other people, and I say, and I tell them, is that important to you? No, I want to compare it with myself to see how I understand, is what they say. So do you want to have an argument about this? I won't think the way you do, I told him, because we're different. And this will come from a very different position. The good treasury of the heart is a person putting his hope and trust upon redemption. And so a person doesn't uh, that has a good heart will not consider himself in some special way above other people. The good treasury of the heart that is uh, again is a person putting his hope and trust upon redemption that is given to him by God, which he receives into his heart by the preached word of one that is sent by him by God and confesses the words of the faith of his heart. The evil treasury of the heart is a person putting his hope and trust upon his own mind and upon service to God, where a person is convinced that if he, in order to achieve his salvation, will give away all of his possessions or his own life, then he will inherit salvation. Such a state of heart depends on the conscience of a man that isn't cleansed from dead works by the truth that is contained in the blood of the cross of Christ, which is at the disposal of the seller. For if the blood of the bulls and goats and the asher of ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot or to God, cleansed your conscience from dead works to serve the living God, Hebrews 9, 13, 14. So that the blood of Christ can cleanse our conscience from dead works, it is necessary to be taught by being instructed in the faith, understanding in what light God walks, so that like God we can walk also in that light. Walking in the light that God walks, 
gives us the ability to abide in brotherly kindness where the blood of Jesus Christ receives legit grounds to cleanse us from all sin. Again, it cleanses us in the atmosphere of brotherly kindness, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have we need to know in what light God walks so we can walk in that light. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1, 7. Only here does the brotherly kindness exist, brotherly kindness, when we understand. It doesn't just cleanse us from sin, but also heals from illnesses, brotherly kindness does. It's unfortunate that it's not existing in the church, it's just empty words. The light in which God walks is holy truth. Walking within the boundaries of holy truth places us into the atmosphere of brotherly kindness, where God cleanses us from all sins by the authority of the person that is endowed with the responsibility to forgive the sins of man or retain a man's sins on him. And so the cleansing of sin happens through the person that possesses the responsibility to forgive sins or retain sins, that is, through the apostles. And apostles are not elected by the form of a vote. God places them. Whether you receive him or not, he's still an apostle. There'll be a great anointing upon him. Only through the, through a pers- uh, using this person will he forgive or retain the sins. So Jesus said to them again, as it says again, that means he said it before. He's telling him again, peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. That is, the Lord's, as the Lord sends me, I send you. John 20, 21 through 23. It's a mandate given uh, to them. Episcopals are not apostles. We need to know that. The level of an Episcopal is as a deacon. They just have different, it's a different role. Episcopal is an overseer. A deacon is also, this is the same, these are helpers of pastors. And so you don't need to call yourself an Apostle if you're not an Apostle. But the, but. They don't say often, they'll say, uh, I'm, I'm the head Episcopal, they say. And so identifying holy truth in which God walks finds itself in the elementary teaching of Christ. If a person, and so the light of the truth, the holy truth is the light, the light in which the Lord walks. If a person, by being instructed in the faith, has not clothed himself into royal garments of the elementary teaching of Christ, not only will he not be able to walk in the light that God walks in, but will resist this light. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principle, uh, principles of Christ, and so leaving is... Uh, what this really this place is in the original is clothing yourself into the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ let us go on to perfection not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God of the doctrine of baptisms laying of the hands resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment four teachings that contain three in each the twelve foundations of the wall of the new Jerusalem Hebrews 6 1 2 to walk in the light that God walks in means being righteous by the gift of grace perform righteousness and being holy from your beginning sanctify yourself he who is unjust let him be unjust still he who is filthy let him be filthy still he who is righteous let him be righteous still and he who is holy let him be holy still Revelations 22 11 a very interesting truth 
When a person is born from the seed of the word of truth, he is holy by his, in his nature, in his beginning. He doesn't need to be, do anything to become holy. He needs to begin sanctifying himself. Only the holy can sanctify himself. Only the righteous can perform righteousness. We receive righteousness as a gift of grace. And being righteous, being justified, we are able to perform righteousness. And if this is not the way it is, and a person attempts with his deeds and fasting and services to God to become righteous, then he, with his own personal righteousness, is resisting God's righteousness and becomes a hater of God. He becomes Satan. What is Satan? A hater of God. One that hates God, is resisting of God. Uh, the nation of Israel became, in the most part, a Satan. They were resisting God, and they, were per they perished. Only those Israelites were saved and those Gentiles that received righteousness by faith and perform righteousness. For God has called us not to impurity but to holiness. Our calling is to hallow God in our minds and our hearts. Only in this way are we able to confidently then come to and eat of the body and drink of his blood. And when we will eat and drink this blood, then it will bring us life upon the condition that we are righteous. But you'll say, what, if I, what do I do if I've sinned? We have Jesus Christ, the median, who died for our sins. And if we will confess our sins, then he, being faithful and true, will forgive and wash us from all unrighteousness. Right now we are going to pray, and all those who desire to resist the sins that bind them, and it's not important what sin says. You will confess this fifth, the sin before the Lord, and I will proclaim, according to Scripture, <clears throat> the responsibility, your forgiveness, your justification, and you will be able to receive. <clears throat> Pay attention. The righteous will fall seven times or rise again. When you sin or I sin, being righteous, being children of God, we don't lose our sonhood. We don't lose justification. We don't <clears throat> sin uh, from the spirit, but from the body. And the conscience suffers, and the spirit is mourning. And and, and the devil says there's no forgiveness. <clears throat> you can't do anything. And the Holy Spirit quietly says, Daughter, son, I am with you. I support you here. Reveal your sins before God. You remain my child. You will fall seven times, but rise again. Let us bend our knees and pray. And those who desire... Uh, to do this, come to the altar. The Holy Spirit is upon this place. He will heal your wounded hearts and will free you from sin.
I am going to be praying your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that God is for you. He is not against you. He loves you. He wants to comfort your heart and with his balm put it upon the wounds that have been inflicted by sin close your eyes lift your hands to God this is a sign that your hands are without wrath or doubt that you have let go of the offenses in your heart forgiveness is the act of the mind and will and not the act of feelings and so pray together with me Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus Christ I have come to you with my wounds you see my wounded heart I hate sin I hate the corrupt desires of my soul I ask you forgive me wash me cleanse me free me from this old person with his deeds and in your name I bind within myself this old person with his deeds I die for my nation, for the house of my father, and for the destructive and corrupt desires of my soul. I thank you that you are my God. I love you. You are my treasure. I rely upon you. You are my hope. I believe in you that you will bring me to the goal and you will erect within my body the stronghold of life. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Your sins are forgiven, and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May He look upon you with His great face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May the blessings of the ancient mountains and everlasting hills beyond you may be upon you and your children and be fulfilled upon you, and the nation shall say, Amen. The Lord is blessed. His mercy is blessed now and forever. Let us sing.
Please be seated. May the Lord bless us, preparing our hearts, yours and mine, to take part in this great mystery that the mind will never really be able to comprehend because it is a mystery that is beyond the flesh or physical things. It is spiritual but impacts physical things and our bodies. First Corinthians eleven, twenty-four through twenty-five. And when he said, Take uh, I from the Lord uh, has taken and he gave he gave took the bread, he said he broke it and said, Take eat this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. What is this unworthy manner? And let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup, not his neighbor he'll examine, but himself. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner examines not himself, but his neighbor eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Our uh, children also are neighbors, and often pe you'll hear, hear people say that children can't take part in the communion. I don't know who brought in this foolishness uh, into the churches, but it says if you'll not become as a little child, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. They don't need to discern. They're, the kingdom of heaven is already theirs. And when we begin to condemn them or judge them, uh, we then eat judgment to ourselves. For this reason, those that eat or drink in an unworthy manner eats and, drink uh, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. 1 Corinthians 11, 24 through 32. And so those who, those saints that have received Jesus as their personal Savior into their heart are able to take part in this communion and have confirmed it with baptism of water. If there is offense in the heart, a bitterness in your heart, you have not become free of it, you should withhold from taking part if you have not confessed from a secret sin that may be in your heart, uh, I would ask you to withhold. Anybody else, uh, members or non-members of the church, may take part. I will ask everyone to stand. We will pray for the bread. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for your broken body. When this bread, this being your broken body, will be passing by your people and we will take of it and eat of it, may your blessing be upon us in your healing and your blessing, because that is your will. May your will be fulfilled 
and your heart may be at rest in healing your nation in the breaking of this mysterious body of your son Jesus Christ we worship before you uh, before this act and the mystery of the bread our great God Son and Holy Spirit Amen and it is written he took the bread he said take eat this is my body broken for you please be seated that road that is approached please stand each one will break their own bread Breaking is a symbol of humility and a sign that specifically my sins crucified Christ upon the cross and nailed them to the cross and put the thorny crown upon his head. Not just the Roman soldiers, our sin, he died for our sins, our sin broke him upon the cross. He voluntarily allowed himself to be broken so that we can be free from sin. That's why he said the righteous will fall seven times but rise again. He will not allow us to perish, although we may often fall and learn and rise again, but uh, gather up strength in yourself. The day will come when you will stand upon this old person in yourself and your corrupt desires, they will no longer bother you. And this will be here. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. In scripture, this is a celebration of the Lord. This is not a reason to be in sorrow. This is a reason to rejoice. He is already seated at the right hand of his Father, and he has seated us together with him there. And this is a feast of the Lord. This is not a feast of sorrow because sorrow is not a feast and so when you prepare yourself for this communion you need to inside rejoice and be glad do not imagine how Jesus died it is in vain our mind can't imagine that what kind of suffering he experienced and the fact that he suffered this doesn't give a person freedom Freedom is given when you obey the word of God. He wanted that communion be a celebration. When the priests saw the nation crying, they became afraid. They came to the nation and said, stop crying. What are you doing? 
This is a celebration of the Lord. You need to rejoice. Learn when you come to the service for communion to dress in the best clothing you have and never fast in this day. May this be a celebration for the spirit, soul, and body. For this celebration, this feast, go and eat what is sweet and what is good. Invite each other. Fast in other days, but in the day of celebration, the day of the feast, do not fast. The Lord loves not just our spirit and our soul, but also our body. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. When we proclaim his death, then death gives right to the resurrection. If there will not be a proclamation of death, there will not be a resurrection. This is an important moment in the life of every person to rejoice and again rejoice. Joy is not an emotion also. It is a discipline of the mind and will that is demonstration, your demonstration of hatred toward lawlessness and love for righteousness. That's why God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness. Emotions can take part. They can or cannot, but it's not as important. We need to behave according to information that we receive by hearing the word of God. I will ask everyone to stand. And we will pray for the new cup poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for the new cup of the covenant poured out for the forgiveness of many sins. When it will be passing by your people and we will take of it and drink of it, may your mercy and your blessing be upon us and may it coat us into the life of resurrection and may your word be fulfilled where you say, who will eat my body and drink my blood will have life in themselves. May this be, this life be in us because we proclaim your death so that we can be clothed into your resurrection, your life. May the blessing of peace be upon your people in this cup in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. The road that is approached, please stand. Please help one another, assist one another as you did with the breaking of the bread. Please assist one another in taking of the cup. The cup is Christ the one and only one for all generations every time as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes First, often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. The fact that it is not fully apprehended or comprehended by our mind, Isaiah 53, 1 and lower, who has believed our report? Who has believed our report? That's how it starts. Faith is from hearing the word and obeying it. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as root out of dry ground. He has no form of comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. We need to understand that that is how his delegated ones will be also. They will not be arrogant, they will not be uplifted, and they will not attract because they will not create such popularity around themselves. He is despised and rejected by men. These people as Christ will be despised and rejected by others, by religious people who will be rejecting him. A man of sorrow and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. We will not be counted among the people, among the religious persons. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. People whom God chooses, he makes them responsible for the sufferings and illnesses of men so that they can bear these illnesses and weaknesses before God's face. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. If there's anyone that may have been accidentally passed by, if not, I will ask everyone to stand up and we will proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen.